What a Life! Rock Photography by Tony Mott is the exhibition currently at the Albury Library Museum on loan from the State Library of New South Wales. And the man joins me right now. Tony Mott, hello and welcome. Uh, Good morning. Nice to be here. Oh, I've got to say, it is so nice to have you here because when I was a teenager growing up, my bedroom walls were just slathered with posters. And one of the things that I noticed so often was in the credit that was down the tiny bottom in white writing often was photo, Tony Mott. So you've been a bit of a a fascination of mine for (laughs) for a long time because I noticed so frequently that your name was attributed to these images of bands that I just absolutely loved. Yeah, I was very prolific for a long period of time. (laughs) And I insisted on my photo credit. Um, there's lots of graphic artists will tell you how much um, how much I used to hassle them because um, for every photo credit you saw there would have been a couple missing where they dropped off and it used to really annoy me. Yeah. So it was like because it's like a free advert. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so I always used to be very um, I was very anal about getting my photo credit. <laughs> well, I definitely noticed. Excellent. Excellent. See, it worked. <laughs> now, um, with regards to the exhibition, I did notice. Um, a Facebook post that the Albury City Council had put up about it. We have a rock photographer based on the border here, David Anderson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I do know David, yeah, yeah. Strangely, I knew he'd gone to the country, but I didn't know where. Yeah, he's... He likes fishing. He does. (laughs) He's put out a book on fly fishing, you are quite correct. Uh, But somebody said to him... David, you should do an exhibition. And he only commented back, that sounds like a lot of work. I imagine you've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of photos within your archives. How difficult was this to put together? Well, a lot of the credit has to go to Louise uh, Louise Trigar from the State Library, who was the curator. And she probably did 90% of the work. That makes me look quite lazy. So what happened was... um, they State Library approached me about doing an exhibition and then I had a meeting with them and it was trying to capture the fact that uh, an era is passing us of live music. The golden age of Australian live music was the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and it's sort of died a death. Melbourne's still uh, relatively prosperous but at the same time not as good as it used to be. And so we were doing basically, yeah, it was not only a... Um, uh, um, an aspect of my career, but just generally the live music scene. So I insisted immediately that I didn't want to do... I've done many exhibitions and I didn't want to have, you know, 50 photos on the wall. And she agreed with that. And so uh, over a period of time, we worked out what we were going to do. And there was I did a photo session with Casey Chambers. It was filmed and we got the graphic designer. And so when you go and see it in the exhibition, there's four photos of Casey on the cover of Rolling Stone. Uh, she picked a photo. I picked a photo. The graphic artist picked a, paper, uh, a photo. And the powers that be, as in the management, picked a photo. And they're all different. And that is genuine. That's, and there's also the contact sheets with Casey's comments. Um, cause, so I wanted people to understand uh, how a photo session is not really in totally my control, even though I'm the photographer. Other people get involved. And then we did, uh, I had my railway seat in the original exhibition, which uh, I've had people like Marilyn Manson, Madonna, Spiderbait, UMI, have all been on my railway seat. So we put the railway seat so people could have their photograph taken on the railway seat. Um, all my front covers of the music magazines, uh, CD covers. It was interactive as well. There was lots of different things. Uh, videos of the Rolling Stone. A video of uh, this uh, aforementioned Casey 
Chambers photo shoot and a video of me waffling on about what a rock photographer is. So it, Louis, then it came to the point of picking photos. <clears throat> so there's the fairly obvious ones, like I've got a very famous Johnny Rotten one, Michael Hutchins, Midnight Oil. They were fairly easy to curate in so much as they're the obvious. There's also a tribute to Chrissy Ampler, who I, uh, to this day, will always be grateful because without Chrissy, I wouldn't have had a career. So there's a section on Chrissy Ampler, who I practiced the art of rock photography when I was starting on Chrissy. What I wasn't aware of at the time was I was practicing on the greatest female performer the world has seen. And I say that with a relative degree of qualification because I've toured with over 300 female artists. And I've had words with Chrissy Hind and Lady Gaga, who both say greatest performer they've ever witnessed was Chrissy Amphlett. So that got a section, and then then it got a little bit more complicated. Then you had to add things to it. And we had a section called the Sydney Scene, and it was the obscure bands like Box, the, uh, Box of Jesuit, Hummingbirds, all the little bands. And when I say little, I don't mean that in a patronising way, but there were, that were indie and sort of cult. And so we had a huge section. And they got a huge reaction because people were coming in. The last weekend in, uh, in Sydney, it was... Definitely nostalgia. All these people coming in going, oh, I remember going to the Annandale. I remember going to this. Um, and so it, it, we sort of hit a nerve and hence it became uh, relatively successful. So the original question you asked about how difficult it was <laughs> to, to pick all the photos was, it wasn't really all together to me and I, it wasn't as difficult as it sounds. And uh, yeah, I think it's fairly, uh, it's, and it was a pleasure. It was very, the really weird thing for me was dating them because, you know, I'm, I'm not big on uh, dating things, but I had to date them. And I, I'd date a photo of Prince and I'd go, oh my God, that was all the way back in 91. I thought it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so that realized, I realized, God, I'm old and God, I've been <laughs> doing this a long time. How was that for an answer? It that went was on. fantastic. <laughs> Let's go back to the start of your career and Chrissy Amphlett. So you're born in Sheffield. You train as a French chef. You move to Sydney and then wind up photographing the Divinals. Please fill in the blanks there. Yeah, it's a peculiar little road, that isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, coming from Sheffield is not my fault. Um, I was born there. And um, it would be fair to say that uh, I came to Australia in the mid-70s. And Australia in those days, it's pre-backpackers. There was no such thing as people travelling around. You either emigrated or you never went there. And I came on a working holiday visa and discovered Australia, fell in love with it immediately, and then emigrated to Australia in the early 80s. And it coincided with um, an amazing live music scene. Best music live scene in the world. Again, qualifications. I'd lived in New York, lived in London. Knocked spots off those cities. Um, and I was a chef. I used to work till about 9, 10 at night. And I'd naturally go and see bands. And I'd already been to Nepal and India and fell in love with black and white photography and doing portraits. And through a drunken haze, I watched Chrissy Ample and just thought, God, that's got to be difficult to photograph. And I wasn't wrong. Um, luckily, it was in the days when they had residencies. So literally, I could watch uh, the Divinals every Tuesday night for six months. And it was during that six months I developed a degree of uh, ability. Uh, the Divinals management approached me. They bought a photo. It became a poster. And uh, so was born my career as a rock and roll photographer. And it was mainly a passion. It had nothing to do... A, a, a gentleman last night at the Albury um, uh, exhibition asked me, um, about my ambition of being a rock photographer and how quickly I became a full-time rock photographer. Well, for a good six to eight years, it had nothing to do with trying to get a career out of it. It was pure passion. Money was irrelevant. Every time I got paid, it was purely a bonus. I absolutely loved what I was doing. I just loved watching bands and photographing them. And then I suppose after about six years, it just dawned on me, I wondered whether I could cover the rent. And so I made an attempt. And there was a good three years then of me being a part-time chef 
and doing photography. And it was sort of ebbed and flowed. And then all of a sudden, uh, it just bang, it became, I could do it full time. And I, and again, I emphasize the money was never a motivation because I absolutely loved what I was doing. Then the money started rolling in and that was just sort of like, as I said, a bonus. Um, and yeah, I, I, in those 30 years, I've never got up to go and do a photo session and went, oh, God, i got to go to work. Yeah. It's never like that. It's never been, even with bands I've never liked, and there has been some difficulties, um, but no more. It would be fair to say musicians get a really bad rap because I've only met three arseholes. <laughs> that, that's pretty good when you consider I've photographed 3,000 bands and artists. If I worked in a bank, I'm pretty sure I'd meet three arseholes pretty quickly. Within, I the, wanna, within, I, within the first 10 minutes. Wanna, I actually do want to attack the banks. <laughs> I'm about to apologise, but I'm not going to apologise. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about some of the artists as well, because one thing that struck me during your talk last night is that we often think of artists being these larger-than-life personalities, show ponies, that when they are put in front of the camera, we forget that they are everyday people. They, they Some of them can become quite self-conscious, particularly you gave the example of Elvis Costello uh, finding being photographed more of a necessary evil than enjoying it. So how do you break through that? Well, that, that's, that's, that's a good question. And also uh, the answer is not so easy because, of course, they're all individuals and they're all different. Um, there's no doubt about it. Talking music helps. Um, I, I learned fairly early on that having a, a mobile portfolio of some of your photographs, if you sit down with Elvis Costello and he goes, oh, my God, this guy's photographed Mick Jagger, Madonna and things like that. That means, oh, he's not an idiot. Uh, at least you know, he has some idea what he's doing. So you've got to try and find a comfort zone. You've got to get them interested. Um, uh, Tori, if you get an hour with uh, an artist, I would always recommend the first 10, 15 minutes having a yak, a, a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, whatever. I sat down with Tori Amos, um, who was, uh, how can I describe it? She wasn't, she wanted to have, um, it's a collaboration. She wanted, she had ideas. And you cannot ignore those ideas. You, you, it's a collaboration. So we sat down over a cup of coffee. For whatever reason, we got on like a house on fire. Uh, to just give you a very funny story about Tori Amos, not only did we get on like a house on fire, she was very flirty. Uh, and I thought, oh, my God, she, 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 we, we seem to have a, a, a connection here. With she's her. notoriously difficult to interview. Uh, well, she was, I got on with her like a house on fire. And she, and she goes, oh, I want you to come up to my bedroom uh, in the hotel and I want to show you all the blouses and whatever. And we got up, and this is not an exam. She took her top off. She didn't have a bra on. So I'm now in a room with a camera, and Tori Amos is topless, putting X, God knows how many different sort of blouses on. And I'm, she's incredibly flirty, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, she really, really likes me. And, the whole bit. and then the next person came in the room, and I realised, oh, she's really flirty with him. And then uh. she was really flirty with the waiter, and she's really flirty. She, that is her manner. Anyway, the, the point being, we collaborated on the ideas, and we did this rooftop shot, and she had, she had beautiful, really bright red hair, and I had her in a really beautiful satin red blouse. And against the city skyline, it was a great contrast. And that's what I was talking about with her. And we collaborated. Uh, and, and that's what it is. And so we got on quite well. There is, of course, this cannot work. Sometimes you, you, you arrive and for whatever reason, your ideas and they go, ah, that's rubbish. Um, there's been a couple of bands. Uh, there's one particular Australian band who, who, for whatever reason, we've never connected. And I've done lots of sessions with them. And it's, which for whatever reason, I can never get on their wavelength. And that's, and that's not uh, saying any derogatory about them or me. It just never worked. Um, there was a period, um, to, to give you an idea of um, 
Tex Perkins I got on with really early on and we did lots of things together and I was thrilled. When I did the Beasts of Bourbon's Black Milk album cover, huge thrill for me. Same week I did Tommy Emanuel's Dare to be Different. You couldn't really have two contrasting. One was very indie, grungy, uh, and then there was Tommy Emanuel. Loved doing them both. Anyway, long story short, uh, Tex Perkins I did so many sessions uh, with the Beasts of Bourbon and Krill C. Their Krill C second album cover, I found out they were using another photographer. I was semi-devastated. Oh, my God, why are they going so much? And I was really upset. And then I bumped into Tex Perkins wherever, somewhere. And I sort of, and he wasn't aware that I was upset. And I just said, oh, you've used so-and-so. And he went, oh, we just really needed to get a different style. And I really realized that I'm not one-dimensional, but I have a style. And that's, I can recognize my photos from a mile off and other people can. And so could he. And he said, we'd done you three times. Yeah. We just needed a breath of fresh air. Not unsimilar to rec- uh, uh, musicians using a different producer. Different style, different way. And I learned that day that you had to be less precious about it. And that was a really, once Tex Perkins told me that, I was like, I get it. Yeah. Straight away. And that's, right. uh, and that's why uh, with photographers, People say, oh, you know, and the, I had rivals, if the, and rivals is completely the wrong word, uh, of photographers doing things. And the reality is I'd be using someone else. I don't want to see my style. And I, I realised that very early on when I used to go to exhibitions. And when I go to, um, when I saw Penny Smith, who's one of my heroes, I went to her exhibition, and it would be fair to say she wouldn't be impressed with my photos because I followed her style. Yeah, right. And she'd just look at it and go, well, yeah, that's my style. I don't really care. But when I go and see Wendy McDougall's photos, and there's a young lad in Melbourne called Kane Hibbard, and mm-hmm. I look at his photos, and a gentleman last night said, oh, what do you think of Kane Hibbard? I love his stuff. It's so not my photos. He's got his own style, and they're really good. So I really love what he does. I really love Wendy McDougall's photos because she's really completely different to me. Sophie Howarth, who was the uh, my co-photographer on The Big Day Out, we were both official photographers, her style is so different for me. So when you were going to hire a photographer... If you hired Sophie Howarth, it wouldn't concern me. I'd be going, good on you, Sophie, because her style's not mine. You'd be hiring her because that's what her stuff does. And for talk, it, It's a bit like you're having a wedding and you're hiring a, 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 a band and someone hires, um, someone hires Kate Soprano and someone hires Metallica. Yeah, well, the reason is they've hired Metallica <laughs> is they're, they're into heavy metal and that's what they want. Kate Soprano shouldn't get upset about that because, yeah, that's not really my style. Well, it's the same with photography. People have different styles. There's loads of great photographers out there, loads. I'm not by far not the only. In fact, I, was never, I never considered myself a great photographer. I was always very good, but there was way better photographers than me. And a lot of them didn't get the work, but a lot of that had to do with personality. I got on with people. So bands were very comfortable with me. The comfort zone is very, very important dealing with musicians. I do long answers, don't I? You really do, but I love it. I could just listen to you for hours. I uh, One thing I did uh, particularly like last night is you said your father taught you very well that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So who aren't we talking about today? We don't talk about the Beastie Boys and Van Morrison. <laughs> Let's move on to some of the artists that have provided you with some of those really fabulous moments. Mick Jagger came up last night. You went on tour with him. Um, One of the things that I pulled out that just made me laugh is that each and every one of the Rolling Stones has their own personal manager. That cracked me right up. Yeah, it's really, and it's a really weird situation. So um, when I was touring with them, Jane Rose, who is still Keith Richards' uh, manager, and I think she's managed him since the early 70s, a gentleman called Tony King was managing um, uh, Mick Jagger. Joe Wood, 
Ronnie Wood's wife was his his manager. So when it came to looking at photos, you had to go and sort. You had to go through three different rooms with three different people looking through photos. So it's sort of a bureaucratic nightmare, and so much. And, you, and there's also some politics being played out. You have to be very delicate. You don't want to be seen to be Tony King's or Mick Jagger's photographer. Yes. you're the band photographer. Um, so the, it's quite funny. They have Prince Rupert Lewenstein is there manager per se as in he oversees the whole business but he's not on the road so on the road they have three different five different people looking after them so it's a yeah it is a unique situation but you know they're a unique band but i should also emphasize they're incredibly generous to the photographer uh you get uh, i mean uh when i go backstage with the rolling stones i got hired by the rolling stones and i was immediately taken backstage and i ended up in a room a pool room with um keith and ronnie i'd never met them before and i remember i had to pinch my i remember coming in and going Bloody hell! It's Mick, it's Keith and Ronnie in a room, and I'm in a room with. And I was introduced to them. And I was thinking, oh my god, I'm just this idiot, and they introduced me. Externally, I was in cool, saying hi, I'm the photographer. But internally, I was so excited. And um, Tony King introduced me and just said, "This is the photographer. You know, he'll be doing this there." And he said, "You go on stage. You do this. You do that." Yeah, they're incredibly open and generous. And if you come up with an idea, when I was in Moscow, I was in Red Square with the Rolling Stones. I complained. That the stage was at the end of the of Red Square, and because the stage was so big, I couldn't see St Basil Cathedral in the background. Next day at the gig, they've got me a cherry picker, my <laughs> own cherry picker, so I can be above the stage, and I've got the stage and the thingy, and it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. And I remember being that was one of the moments when I realised not that I well I knew I'd made it, but uh, I was rocking to the Rolling Stones. And uh, as I was rocking and not taking photographs, I sort of went, oh, God, that's right. I'm supposed to be taking photos. I thought, some idiot is paying me to yeah. be here. And I then had a little moment where I was thinking, I wonder how much money I would pay someone to be in this position. And I was thinking, quite a lot. Yeah. I'd give someone a lot of money to have a cherry picker on my own with the ability to go down and up anywhere I liked to photograph the Rolling Stones. And I'm being paid for this. And I remember that, that that was a moment I went, I like being a rock and roll photographer. Let's talk about another moment you brought up last night, the debauchery of Queen at Nebworth. Yes, indeed. Most of that story can't be told on radio, I'd say. That's okay. Particularly the dwarf story. This will be a podcast, (laughs) but just the contrast. Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, I I got hired. um, It was very early on in my career, so I was very green. I got hired to shoot Queen at Nebworth. At the time, no one knew, and to this day, I don't know whether whether even the band knew, but it was uh, Queen's last ever concert. Uh, Freddie died a good five years after that, but they never played again. Uh, they played Nebworth, two days running, 240,000 people. That's half a million people in a field uh, shoot uh, watching Queen. They were amazing, and it was a fantastic concert. And I got invited to the after-show party, uh, and it was in the Kensington High Gardens in London, very posh hotel. Princess Di, I believe, takes afternoon tea there at the time. Um, I went up in the lift. There was a naked model, female and male, serving very expensive wine in the lift. I would have been quite happy to just go up and down the lift all night. I was <laughs> in seventh heaven. I got into the party, and every second person you looked was the girl who reads the news on the BBC, the Eurythmics, Eric Clapton, Sam Fox, who was a page three model, the bands there. And I went to the bar. I was partial to Sauvignon Blanc. And I got, um, they didn't give me a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. A 1950s French bottle of wine was given to me. A gentleman next to me was drinking vodka and tomato juice. Picture of uh, tomato juice, a bottle of Stolly vodka. (laughs) So there was no messing around with drinks. Um, As the party progressed, 
Um, it would be fair to say I, I was witnessing some cross between Roman debauchery and a rock and roll party. I saw women with women, men with men doing things I'd never seen before. I was completely beside myself. I was drinking quite heavily and was just absolutely gobsmacked what I was watching. Freddie Mercury was on, on the dance floor. He had Sam Fox's breasts out. He was just <laughs> being, being Freddie on stage. There was all this thing going off. And then you went to the end of this ballroom and you went up some stairs and there was a room on the other side, a much smaller room. And there was all of Queen's family, like Freddie's grandmother, mother, children. And they were having an afternoon English tea party. And they were sort of drinking tea and going, wasn't Freddie wonderful on stage this afternoon? And as you stood there and you looked to your left and you went, my God, I've never seen debut. This is not legal. What is going on in this room? Then you looked to the right and there's just this English afternoon tea party. And there was nannies there and all the kids were playing with their toys and stuff. It was a very surreal moment. Um, I read uh, in the papers about two days later that Freddie had spent £180,000 on this party. And I can wow. well believe it. Uh, and... Uh, as I said, it was early in my career. I was very green. I thought, God, welcome to rock and roll. This is amazing. Never been to a party that even came close to it since. <laughs> now, you hate Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi, I should say. Yes, um, but in a very nice sort of way. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I shot John Bon Jovi, uh, I can't remember where it was, a double bay in a hotel. Uh, he couldn't be more pleasant. And as soon as you stick a camera on him, he's just so good looking. Um, I'm not gay or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it was like, oh, my God, this guy. You, there's no because normally you look for people and you, I often there is good angles on everybody. And you sometimes say to people, I'll oh, just lift up sort of get their eyes. I realize when Kiki D's an example of someone who's got this massive chin, I find it very attractive. But she's paranoid. So you make a hold a chin. Mm. So you hide it. There's lots of Bon Jovi. There's just nothing. It doesn't matter what he does. He just looks great. Uh, and what made it worse was he's such a nice guy. I really don't like him at all. <laughs> There's got to be a blemish somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he was incredibly obliging. I got, to, do you know, I think I photographed him for less than 15 minutes. And there's just so many photos in there that are usable. It was fantastic. Uh, and as I said, yeah, he was a really nice guy. I'm not a huge Bon Jovi fan, um, as in the band themselves. As in, I, yeah, they're not, I, I'm, yeah, I don't rate them highly yeah. as a band. But they certainly entertain. And yeah, they've just got an incredibly good looking lead singer. Do you often find that your musical tastes are at odds with how good someone is to photograph? No, it, it's it, it, it's a very weird scenario um, because I, you are a photographer and when I'm in the pit, I, I am actually obviously hearing the music and I'm often rocking with it as in, you know, uh, in my head I'm having a great time. But I'll come out and someone will say, oh, did they do Gimme Shelter tonight? And I'll go, ah, uh, did they? I'm not quite sure. I often can't remember what they've played, particularly if you're on, you're on the road and they, they have a different set list. Uh, but often it can be an advantage not to like the music because yes. all you're concentrating in is, is in the music. Um, I had a very weird situation. I toured with Sonic Youth and I did an EP cover for them and it was a huge thrill. I'm a huge fan of Sonic Youth. They're really great to work with and they're very different sort of people, uh, particularly when doing the artwork and stuff. And within a week of that, I was hired to do Michael Bolton. I'm not a huge Michael Bolton fan. find him incredibly daggy. I, I must also emphasise, he couldn't be a nicer guy. <laughs> Unbelievably nice. Another guy that yeah. you need to hate for, the, for those reasons. But anyway, when I was doing Michael Bolton, I remember going there and just thinking it, it was an incredibly daggy concert. 
Um, but it was great to photograph because all I concentrated was angles. I was thinking, this would be good. And I never really ever heard the music. It, and it certainly didn't bother me. should emphasize it didn't bother me. I remember going to a dinner with him and he came over and he'd seen the photographs and he came over and thanked me for touring and said, really love the photos. He goes, you must hate touring with someone like me. He'd read in the paper uh, that, uh, you know, my favorite bands were the Rolling Stones, Divinals or whatever. And of course, he was very aware of what his own music was. And he, of course, he writes, he wrote hit singles for Kiss uh, and other people. So he, he's very aware of it. And he was very, yeah, he couldn't have been a nicer guy. The band was fantastic. And um, it was just a real pleasure to tour with. They were really easy to tour with. Um, they, they weren't rock and roll animals. But um, yeah, it was actually slightly easier to photograph just in so much as that's what you were concentrating on. Um, I, I, there's loads of bands. It's like, I really love photographing Slipknot and Metallica. But you'd never hear me playing their CD at home. Mm. It's not my cup of tea. I, I'm so aware of Metallica's power on stage, like that unbelievably um, awesome live band and great to photograph. Um, and I actually genuinely enjoy their concerts, but you'd never hear Metallica on my CD player at home. It's just not my cup of tea. Uh, Slipknot, the same. I, find, I defy anyone to go and see Slipknot and not be entertained. Uh, my wife's not into um, heavy music in any shape or form, and I made her with earplugs come and see Slipknot, and she just had the biggest smile on her face. Yeah, oh, uh, I said it's pure entertainment. You know, they used to fill up their um, uh, uh, beer kegs with water, with beer and empty it, and the percussionist would be hitting it and throwing it across the stage. It's pure entertainment. They're fantastic. Um, so there's, uh, but again, uh, they're easy. Ramstein would be one another band that's great to photograph and even if you hated the music you could not be entertained by them they're, they're phenomenal yeah um uh, so yeah sometimes it is an advantage to uh to not particularly like the music because you just concentrate on the photography i have caught myself rocking in the pit and i've had to go oh that's right i'm supposed to be taking photos <laughs> i think two uh that came up last night that you said weren't your cup of tea particularly but were fantastic performers included michael jackson and prince yeah i yeah i, I should Qualify that by saying that I do like Michael Jackson and Prince's music, but I'm not an enormous fan. Mm. And if they were in town and as a punter, I, well, I would go and see Prince, but Michael Jackson I probably wouldn't have bought a ticket for. But uh, when I saw him live, I realised, oh, my God, I'm in the presence of... I, I usually say I, I would put Prince, Michael Jackson, Queen, Rolling Stones as the number ones. Uh, the, and just beyond criticism in so much as they are fantastic. Uh, and... Prince is probably my number one as a performer, just purely because he's a musician and a performer. Uh, Michael Jackson, uh, not a musician. Um, Prince, I've never seen anybody with breath control. Um, and also very uh, easy to get on with. I met him a few times and we had yaks about photography, you know, what he wanted in photos. He used to do the splits when he was doing um, uh, Party Light 1999, and, and it was the finale, and he'd be 45 degrees at the end of the stage, and he would slide towards the microphone in the middle to finish and he'd splits full splits with the guitar and he'd land at the microphone and my job that he wanted was the shot with the microphone the splits and every night he just because he's sliding yeah. on his ass all the way there and he just missed the center and he in backstage the next day to me we'll get it i'll be there tonight you be there you be there and the one night where and the lights go down so he does it and it's the end of the concert boom and then there's about you got about three seconds to get it, and then the lights go down, and he's gone, and the people can't see. It's a big bank of lights. It's a really dramatic finish. And this one night, finally, after about the fourth attempt, we got it. And just as I got it, he he must have realised I got it, and he just winked at me, <laughs> <laughs> and he got it. Um, and it was uh, that was his tour poster for years. Um, but I I was in the presence of a guy that 
He can play every musical instrument. You can't play them. He's unbelievably good at them. Yeah. Um, I, I heard Eric Clapton in an after-show party just going on about how great a guitarist he was. Um, so he, he just had everything. His breath control, his dancing. He did two tours I did. I did the Love Sexy tour and I did the new tour. The Love Sexy was pure showbiz. Flying beds, lots of props, loads of dancers. Though, but the new tour, no dancing. It was just a clean band, two bat poles. He'd just done the soundtrack to Batman. And it was just him on instruments. So I, both perfectly entertaining. Without a doubt, um, I toured with Madonna uh, around the same time. And this is not knocking Madonna. There's nothing wrong with Madonna. But Don, Madonna is nowhere near in the same class as Prince, which is really weird because she was selling so many more records. Yeah. But she knew how to deal with the media. She was a media, you know, she just, she was very savvy and just absolutely in control. Uh, just not the sidebar, just to give you the difference between Madonna and, say, Michael Jackson. When I did a, I did a photo session with Michael Jackson somewhere in Hungary with the, uh, with the castle in the background. And when he came out for the, I'm on stage with the, with the camera ready to go. And when he came out, there was like, I don't know, 12 people, bodyguards and managers. He has got like four people all telling Michael Jackson what we're going to do, how he's going to do it, how it's going to happen. We're going to be 10 minutes, a whole bit. Okay. When Madonna comes on to the other there's 14 people being told by Bernada what to do. And she's in charge and she's in, this is what this is going to be. And, uh, I did a photo session with Madonna in front of the Sydney cricket ground where she dressed as Don Bradman in the baggy crown. And she'd been watching videos of cricket the night before to make sure she got the stance right and she was just totally obsessed she didn't want this published it was in vogue and she was totally obsessed that this had to be right and so she'd been and strangely she had no idea who it was but it was Don Bradman (laughs) Uh, and it was Don Bradman doing the stance of the cricket stance which all Americans have no idea how to do but she wouldn't have this wrong and and she was telling people around her this has got to be right this has got to be right this has got to be right Um, Michael Jackson had people telling him what to do and that's the big difference between the two but Prince was never um Media savvy. He had, I, I've seen him being interviewed and he's uncomfortable talking about... He's great with musicians, he's not good with... Uh, with and so consequently, um, Madonna went through the proverbial roof and as mm. big as Prince was, she was selling more records and yet it was, I don't think anyone, including Madonna, would, re, would argue with Prince, genuinely one of the greats great all times. Absolutely. In terms of the volume of artists that you have photographed across the years, there's thousands of them. Has there been an elusive figure? Uh, well, not really. I nearly, I photographed nearly everybody I wanted to photograph, but I was always chasing Tom Waits for some reason. I was, I had a fascination for Tom Waits. I think he lends himself to the camera and he's a bit of a character. And there's been about four or five sessions set up and they've always failed. Uh, usually through his um, alcohol intake meant he didn't turn up on a couple of occasions and then they just got cancelled. So I never photographed him and I always wanted to photograph him. So he's the he's sort of like the holy grail that I never got and all the rest of the holy grails are all dead <laughs> and it's so difficult to photograph the dead. Yeah, <laughs> funny that. Uh, I do, I am conscious of time, probably need to let you go. I could speak to you for hours That's upon fine. hours. Um, finally... You started in film, black and white photography, your favourite mode. When it comes to the digital age, do you lament that lack of excitement getting into the dark room? Yeah, uh, you do miss it, but um, there's no two ways about it. Digital is fantastic and it's unbelievably convenient and it's unbelievably cheap. Um, 
in the days of film, and you, a roll of film was costing 50 bucks to buy the roll of film, process it, and not to mention the time involved. Um, I used to ruin all my jeans because I had chemicals. Uh, the fixer, which is one of the chemicals you use in processing, you got that in your jeans. The jeans are ne- there's, to this day, there's no chemical can get fixer out of jeans. So um, the digital age meant I had nice, clean jeans. <laughs> uh, my front room, which was my dark room, doesn't stink anymore. Um, so, but I do miss black and white film. Uh, digital has developed to a point of unbelievably uh, expertise and quality, and it's fantastic. And there's no two ways about it. Digital color is phenomenal, but black and white they still haven't really developed. And a black and white photograph taken with black and white film, with the grain that goes with it, everything is still uh, can only be done and reproduced with film. Um, so I do miss that, and also the thrill in the dark room of. I take a picture of you now and I think, oh, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. But I don't know. Yeah. And then I go home and first of all, you, you, you process the film and it hangs and you're looking at a negative. So it's back to front and you still think, oh, that looks good. And then you get it on the enlarger. Is it sharp? Oh, yes, it's in focus sharp. And then there's this chemical and you're in a little red light room and you're agitating the chemicals and this plain white paper, an image comes up enormous adrenaline thrill when it comes up. There's also the enormous, oh, my God, I didn't get it. Yeah. So there's the opposite. It's yes. the yin and the yang. There's the high and the low. But when you got it, you just go, oh, my God, that's fantastic. And the thriller, and then you dry it and hang it up. So it's a long process. And, of course, uh, in this day and age, everyone wants instant, um, mm. instant photos. I did a shoot with Beyonce in New York about five years ago, and they, she had a posse with her. And I think it was her cousin was a PA, and I shot it on film. It was for Spin magazine. And it was in the middle of digital age where everyone's used to digital. And this girl just came up and said, what are you doing? And I was putting film in the back of the camera. She'd never seen a camera open up in the film. And she was like completely fascinated and never seen it. And I realized, oh, my God, the generational change has happened so quickly. She, and she wasn't dumb. There's nothing about it. Yeah. She was just young and had never seen film go in the back of the camera. And then she said, oh, I need to see the results to approve which ones. I said, it'll be ready tomorrow. And she went, no, I need to see them today. I said, no, it's film. And then I, I heard myself saying, well, yeah, because you, you, you hang the filming chemicals, you dry it, and then you go. And then when it's dry, I cut the negatives up and I put it on this machine. Oh, and, I put, wow. and I could see her looking at me going, this guy's weird. He's, Where's yeah. he from? He's like Neanderthal. <laughs> it's like, he's from the, he's, he probably lives in a cave. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the reality was she's completely the generation that you know, have no idea about film and it's quite funny. It was a sort of a comical thing. Cause, and then she was like, tomorrow? Really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it'll be tomorrow. We're shooting on film because I want the grain. What do you mean grain? Oh, oh. grain in it. And I was—I may as well have been talking, you know, Russian to her. She had—it was quite quite peculiar. Um, so yes, it changed really quickly, and I do miss the days of film because film. Yeah, when you see a black and white portrait and the grain, it's 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 still got the power, and it's still it's still great. Well, when you say that, that picture of Michael Hutchins gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's it's the perfect example of a great portrait that wouldn't work in digital. Yeah. That, all that lumpy grain yeah. is what makes that photo so great. I'm very proud of that, even though it was an accident. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we've quite got time to get into that one but Tony Mott I would like to thank you so much for joining me today What a Life Rock Photography by Tony Mott is at the Albury Library Museum until Sunday June 10th and then I believe it's on to Canberra no, Canberra's been cancelled oh. for some reason. Some political events has, has come. No, the, the gallery in Canberra is, um, has had uh, building problems and they've closed it. They're renovating. So it's postponed and we haven't got new dates. It goes from here, it goes to the Casula Powerhouse uh, Museum in Liverpool, Sydney at the beginning of next year. Well, you'll have to wait until then you if you don't catch it within a week's time. <laughs> Tony Mott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you and a pleasure.